Hello and welcome to Please Say Psych, a mental health podcast that used to be hosted by three friends but is currently being maintained by one of them because the other two are fighting for their lives in med school. In this podcast, we talk about issues related to mental health that our culture is too shy to discuss, as well as things I've learned in therapy with yours truly, Christine Daniel. Hello and welcome back to Please Say Psych with me, Justine Daniel. So as of recording, I have just finished reading my 25th book. And by the time I post this, I think I'll have read maybe two or three more books. <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm hoping that I'll have read two or three more books by the time I publish this. But yeah, I've been reading again, and it started in August, so I think I could have read more this year if I started in January. And it was tough, because what got me back into reading was watching normal people. (laughs) Man, that show. I think I have to allot a separate episode for that. But that show made me buy the book, like a hard-bound copy of the book. and yeah from then on i just started reading again and i think the secret to reading books again like to pick yourself up from you know not reading for such a long time which i feel like a lot of people relate to it's to reread a favorite book hands down that really helped and what i chose was slaughterhouse five by kurt vonnegut i read it about three years ago and i loved how weird it was because it was such a strong analogy for ptsd the way billy pilgrim was stuck in time or unstuck in time something like that and i don't know it just really resonated with me and i used that as motivation to read more books again and finally my tablet is of use to me again because i've been reading more and i can't always buy books so i just resort to epubs most of the time especially if i'm not very drawn to the plot or the blurb of the book so yeah um and three months later i have completed my goodreads challenge actually my challenge for this year was to read 15 books i accomplished that by september last month and now i've read 25 so i think i wouldn't be surprised if i reach 40 by the end of the year if i just keep going but i'll leave i'll leave room for compassion for myself because that's something i'm currently learning in therapy anyway okay why was i talking about books okay there we go so i was i opened with me reading about books because my taste in books have significantly changed. I've become more interested in nonfiction. And one genre I'm currently exploring is self-help. It's such a it's such a misrepresented genre. I hate how the face of self-help is Jordan Peterson. Ugh God, don't get me started with him. And like that that orange book called the subtle art of not giving a fuck which honestly is very ironic because if you truly did not give a fuck you wouldn't have wasted a tree to publish that like that's truly how you do not give a fuck 
and I'm never gonna read that. I don't think you could ever bribe me into reading that. I hate that book with a passion, and I hate how a lot of people like it. Probably because it's simple. Probably because it tells you a lot about common sense stuff, and people eat that shit up. Yeah, I did not hold back. But yeah, so I've been trying to look for self-help books that are good and are helpful. Because one thing that the self-help genre is guilty of is the fact that it's too simple. It's too simplistic, rather. Like, they're, they're unable to dissect and analyze very complex topics or maybe i just haven't read enough and the popular books on self-help are just really the ugliest of them all but i have found books that are useful and are nice and recently i have been reading the books of my favorite modern psychologist john gottman the founder of gottman institute so let me just gush about my little jewish grandpa uh john gottman yeah he's jewish right yeah he is i came across him years ago when i was in university he had this ted talk about relationships and his ted talk was called the science of love where he mentioned this golden ratio of relationships and that golden ratio is five to one and that represents the amount of good times that you have with a person and the amount of bad times that you have with them. So he says that every healthy relationship he has studied, this guy has over 40 years of experience, by the way. Like he's done 40, about 40 years of research in relationships and marriages. So he knows what he's talking about. So he says that every successful couple that he knows has the five to one ratio where for every bad time that they have together or in every conflict that they have there are five moments to make up for it and in one of his books he goes on to say that for every big fight that you have you need 20 good moments to make up for that and it's so interesting because they really they really studied how couples engage in conflict and that was how they came up with the golden ratio. This was like years of study in the making. He and his wife, Julie Gottman, founded Gottman Institute. And they've been a renowned uh, institution for providing mental health services for couples. So I've been reading more of his books. And the recent book that I read from him was Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love, which... I would have enjoyed if I were in a relationship right now. Like, it would have been helpful for me, but I'm not. So maybe by the next time I get into a relationship, I could do it. But there was also another book that I read from him, if I'm not mistaken. I think, yeah, there was another There was another book that I read. I forgot the title. Um, but it was about marriages too. It was something I read way back. Uh, this one, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. And I know I did not finish this, but I did read the first few parts of it. But I have been following their social media. I've been watching videos about the studies done by Gottman. And I think I can confidently say that I know enough about the things that they've been doing research on. Because I also follow their 
podcast called Small Things Often, which are tidbits of practical advice that you can apply in your relationships. And with all that said, because I'm such a huge Gottman fan, because I also have an interest in relationships, like in the field of psychology, I have started to think about green flags in a relationship. Like, there's so much talk about red flags in a relationship because obviously you want to look out for any signs of danger early on as much as possible. But there's not a lot of literature on relationship green flags. Probably because it does feel like common sense that, you know, you're supposed to go after people who are safe. You're supposed to go after people who are healthy, blah, blah, blah. But the reason why this is so hard and why this kind of quote-unquote common sense is not so common is because many of us grew up in dysfunctional families, in dysfunctional relationships, and growing up when you feel like this kind of relationship that your grandparents or your parents had is normal and healthy and like it's normalized you end up thinking oh maybe this is what love looks like and you think that love is being inconsistent being unpredictable and i feel like this is why many of us find ourselves trapped in a toxic relationship so today i want to talk about my own 12 signs of that you have to look out for to say that a relationship is good for you or is good for you period so this is not just based on personal experience this is also based off of the books that i read recently on self-help so i did not just read gottman i also read recently i recently finished uh adult children of emotionally immature parents by lindsey gibson it was such an emotional read because Really, it really boils back to childhood. Freud was right. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but Freud was right in that aspect. In that aspect alone, and I also read *The Science of Stuck* by Britt Frank. So all these self-help books so far have given me a better picture of what green flags look like in a relationship. So first of all, I could I could start the first sign or the first green flag with secure attachment or a managed attachment style. So I we have an episode here about the different attachment styles and we go on to talk about the different types. There are four types. You have secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. So you could check out episode two of this podcast to know which attachment style you might have. And basically a good relationship would have secure attachment ideally secure attachment about 52 percent of people according to the book attached uh by amir levine says that there are that much people who have a secure attachment and that's good because usually if you have an insecure attachment style like anxious avoidant or disorganized you're likely to shift to a secure attachment when the person that you're with has an has a secure attachment and that helps however that's not always the case because there are times where the insecure person the person with the with the insecure attachment style can have more power than the other and i noticed this in my friend's relationship she had a very toxic past like when i met her about three years ago 
she had just broken up with her toxic ex and she had just gotten into a new relationship with this girl that she thought was worth it and we found out that it was like a shitstorm like 2020 was a shitstorm because it was just another kind of toxic like this friend of mine had very secure attachment at the beginning like when she had just broken up with her ex because i made her take an attachment style quiz it's it turned out to be secure and then months later almost like a year into the relationship with that girl no no, a year after, that was like a few months into her new relationship, she was starting to get anxious and scared and really traumatized. Like, man, that was tough. So just to put it out there, the person with a secure attachment won't always be in control of the relationship and won't always have the bigger influence in the relationship, which is why it's a risk. It's a risk to get into relationships. And you have to be brave enough to take that risk. You might end up traumatized as heck, but it's also a learning experience that I don't want to romanticize that much because I feel like there are lessons that we can learn in a more gentle way. So yeah, if you can't be in a relationship or if the person that you're interested in or the friends that you'd like to be closer to have insecure attachment styles, as long as they're working on it or as long as there's, there's their styles are managed, that's a green flag because you'd want people who are aware of their issues or their baggage and are doing something to deal with it. Which leads me to my next point. Another green flag in any type of relationship is a mix of awareness and action. I have found myself very attracted to people who are aware of their issues because as a psychology graduate, you give me something to analyze, you give me something to theorize about, and also I get to know you more. So I've been attracted to very questionable men and people. But with that aside, what could have saved me from experiencing disappointment in my relationships is if these people paired the amount of awareness that they had about their issues with action or like they were doing something about it because it's one thing to say that oh i have mommy daddy issues i get very jealous very easily i am super inconsistent i know what the heck's wrong with me that's that that seems appealing that does seem appealing i gotta admit because it's kind of like that episode that piece of shit episode from bojack horseman where bojack has this monologue where he he feels bad about himself and calls himself a piece of shit and then he tries to console himself by saying at least i'm not like other pieces of shit who don't know that they're pieces of shit at least i'm a piece of shit who knows and is aware of that and i think a lot of us fall victim to thinking that that's a good and redeemable trait when in fact awareness is just the first step so a good green flag will be a good amount of awareness paired with action like what are you doing about your issues like it's these days it's not enough to just know what your issues are it's important to figure out either how to resolve them how to get over them or how to live with them because don't admit there are things that once they happen to you such as grief they stay with you forever if you can't get rid of it completely the only way you could go around it is to try to figure out the most peaceful way to live with it so as not to hurt other people so again very important actions actions speak so much louder than words that idiom really holds true 
next the next uh, green flag that i have is communication and not just talking okay not just talking but communicating consistently clearly and kindly i was gonna say three c's but kindly is okay so ckc the ckc of communication so first when communication is consistent it's i don't mean just talking every day you know like my best friendships are not consistent like every day i don't talk to all my friends every day it's more of i check in with them whenever i can which is like maybe every two weeks every month because not all the people in your lives will talk to every day i feel like that's i don't know personally i find that a, a bit too exhausting and for other friends of ours who we see more often we talk more often so again there's consistency and i'm not just talking about consistency in terms of like frequency consistency also refers to what you say you have to make sure that the things you say they align with each other like it's very important that you know your principles and values so that you don't change your ideas or your opinions about certain things when it comes to like core values okay you you don't want to like retract your statement all of a sudden simply because you want the other person to like you you should retract your statement and change your opinion if you figure out that there's more information to the topic and it's better than the opinion that you first had i hope that made sense so consistency is the first thing in communication it also has to be clear you need to know how to talk about things as clearly as possible because saying shit like oh i just want to see where this goes i just want to go with the flow that is vague because when we like whether you, whether you admit it or not there's something that you always want out of relationships and you have to be honest enough you have to be clear enough to articulate what you want so i think it's also important to date somebody or to like be friends with somebody who has good vocabulary like they know they have words for the feelings that they have and they don't just shut down so yeah and finally communicating kindly is very important there's always a nice way of saying things and a good chunk of communication is not just about what is being said it's also how it is being said so before you show how angry you are before you let them know how angry you are try to ask yourself is there any way for me to express this frustration in a healthy way that doesn't hurt or traumatize the other person because if there is go for that route before getting angry because you know anger is inevitable but regulating your emotions is a huge tool to make sure that anger doesn't really cause any harm okay and this leads me to my next point when when people get angry for instance you'd always want to assume that it's because it's their way of letting their emotions out it's not always to hurt you but at the same time explaining things is not a pass to acting like a shit person so the next green flag is that the person that you're with be it a partner or a friend or a boss literally whoever because these green flags are for any type of relationship 
The fourth green flag is assuming positive intent. So John Gottman says that healthy couples or healthy relationships always assume positive intent. This means that when somebody makes a mistake in the relationship, you always have to assume that they meant well. Even if you don't understand them yet, always assume that they mean well. For example, your friend forgot to greet you on your birthday. This friend has always greeted you, but today they didn't. And the past few weeks, they haven't been talking to you that much. Assuming positive intent would sound something like, oh, they're probably going through something and I feel like I have to check in on them because this isn't normal, like not having heard from them for a while. The opposite of positive intent is passive aggression where you just spiral and think to yourself, oh, this person hates me. They're probably thinking of cutting me off, yada, yada, yada. And this is totally understandable because I used to assume the worst out of every situation because it was like a coping mechanism for me to like, you know, so that when things go to shit, I wouldn't feel so surprised. But at the same time, assuming the worst of people, of things, was just putting myself through something bad twice like it hadn't even happened yet but i was already suffering and then when and if it happened which rarely did i was suffering again (laughs) and (laughs) that's not the way to go so again make sure that you assume positive intent before you jump into conclusions and before you hear the person out because the more faith that you have in your friend in your partner that they always mean well they want what's best for you that they're really not out to hurt you the easier it is to trust them and deal with conflict. And that leads to point number five, good conflict resolution skills. Like, conflict resolution is such an important life skill to practice and hone because it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You can't always just have a good conversation. There will be times and there are going to be times when you won't see eye to eye with your friend or your partner or your boss or whoever. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to not agree with somebody. But you also don't want to agree with them if you genuinely know that your point is also valid. So this is where conflict comes in. And my life kind of changed when I began to see conflict as an opportunity to grow. Because when you see it as an opportunity for both of you to learn from each other instead of it being a cause for you to drift apart, then you kind of take it more seriously and you become more mindful of what you have to say when you are in conflict with the other person. And some tips that I've found useful in when engaging in conflict with people are the following. First, you want to use I statements like, I feel this way, the way I perceive this situation, I felt blah, 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 and I think blah, blah, blah. So, for example, going back to the friend who forgot your birthday, you could tell them, like, hey, I noticed that you didn't greet me, I didn't receive a greeting from you, and I was kind of hurt because I consider you one of my best friends, and I'm kind of scared that maybe I did something wrong for you not to greet me, so I was wondering if there's anything that we could talk about 
Because when you use I statements, it sounds less aggressive. It sounds less accusatory, which is one, you, which is how you want to start conflict. Gottman says that the first ten minutes of conflict are the most crucial because that dictates how the rest of the conversation will go. And again, using I statements, focus on how you feel about the situation because really the only thing you know about that conflict is how you feel and how you think. And this is information that's important for your partner to learn about. And another thing is to avoid the force, the four horsemen of a relationship. This is a concept coined by Gottman. So these are the four things that you want to avoid when engaging in conflict and in relationships in general. Contempt, con- criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling. So these four traits are things you would like to avoid because these lead to the demise of any type of relationship. So contempt basically is attacking your partner's character. Like, you know, you're arguing about one thing and then you just start to attack their character out of nowhere and you start generalizing things that's uh, contempt. Criticism is when you use words like you always do this, you never do that. It's just being very critical and being very angry at your partner for failing to do or for always doing a certain thing. Defensiveness is dodging accountability. It's when somebody expresses that they don't like what you're doing or they don't like how this conversation went, they don't like how this situation went, and you immediately rush to your own defense instead of hearing them out and saying, oh, I understand where you're coming from. I totally get that. I see your point. But here's how I understood it. Defensiveness sounds more like, I didn't do that. You're being crazy. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's kind of like borderline gaslighting too. And finally, stonewalling is shutting down during conflict. Like you withdraw from the conversation and you avoid talking about it. Personally, I think to an extent, it's important to take a step back when you know that a conversation is about to get tense with another person but you do owe the other person uh, a heads up to be like hey i feel like we're at the height of our emotions right now i don't want to say anything harmful to you so i'm just going to i'm just going to retreat for a while we can talk about this after a few hours something like that so that's important instead of just shutting down and just not speaking to them and giving them the silent treatment like i remember growing up the silent treatment was used on me a lot which is why I ended up feeling very anxious in my relationships. Like, even if you tell me nothing's wrong, I automatically would assume that something is still wrong because I was always taught that if I'm being given the silent treatment, it means something is wrong and I have to be the one to bring it up because the other person won't do it. So yeah, that's something that you have to avoid. Stonewalling, defensiveness, criticism, and contempt. So the opposite of all of these are the following. Uh, you, you do want to appreciate your partner, like the good things that they have. You want to make sure that you focus on the conflict at hand and don't generalize. You also want to hold yourself accountable. If, you, if somebody tells you that, they, that you, you hurt them, you have to own up to it. Because I, I hate to quote Louis C.K. on this. But he made a really good point. It goes something like this. This I saw this on Tumblr before. He was like, 
when a person tells you that you hurt them, you don't get to decide that you didn't. And that has stuck with me ever since. Because, you know, you, you really can't say that I didn't do that. I didn't mean that. Because again, intent is different from impact. Even if you didn't mean it, the impact is not on you. The impact is not something that you get to say. The impact is something that the other person receiving your action has a say on. And if they say that they hurt you, even if, like, let's say you meant well, that you didn't mean to hurt them, if they got hurt, then you have to own up to it. Of course, uh, an exception to this situation is if the person is abusive and manipulative, then, of course, don't immediately believe them. Okay, that leads me to point number six. A green flag is you feel safe to be yourself. You don't feel like you have to shrink yourself. You don't feel like you have to adjust parts of yourself when you are with this person. You're free to be yourself, really. Like, you don't feel afraid to express whatever it is. And if you feel like you say something problematic, you feel safe enough for this other person to call you out on your BS. That's a really good thing. And this friend of mine that I met at work, shout out to Leslie. Uh, We have, like, one of the healthiest relationships ever like at least for me like i have such a good relationship with her it took work for both of us because at the beginning when we just became friends um we were kind of struggling to communicate with each other i remember there was this time where we were at the pantry and i was like the new person at work i was one of the new persons at work and our principal said that if something is on the pantry table, it's in the middle. It means it's for anyone to eat. And Leslie had put her container of cookies in the middle. So here I was assuming that it was for public consumption, but turns out it wasn't. And it's funny because when I got from the container, I was literally beside her and she just looked at me like girl what the fuck (laughs) and and i was like what like didn't didn't the principal say that you can't and she was like girl it's mine and i was just so embarrassed and she she brings that up every now and then and we laugh about it but at that time it was it was so tense and we had like a bunch of fights early into our friendship but now we've managed to communicate more properly so i think the last fight i had with leslie was last year i think yeah it was sometime last year i forgot what we fought about but both of us knew that the tension was high so both of us were we both retreated and we were like okay we'll talk about this tomorrow and both of us talked the following day and we made up and yeah anyway i feel safe around her and really it it did take so much work and right now we 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 are each other's safe space oh yeah feeling safe not just to be yourself but to be called out on is a more important trait to in a good relationship the seventh green flag in a relationship is that you feel seen heard and held and Leslie's previous relationships were awful. She didn't feel seen by her previous ex. She didn't feel heard by her other ex. She was held, yeah, 
held hostage. <laughs> yeah, he, she was held hostage by like one of her exes because her ex, one of her exes was really manipulative as hell. And I'm so glad that she's currently in a happy relationship. So shout out to you guys. Love y'all. But yeah, a good relationship would make you feel seen, heard, and held. Because not these are very important things in a relationship. I feel like that's why we get into relationships. That's why we we crave human connection. Because we want to feel like we do exist. That we do matter to somebody. And that they do listen to us. Because it's nice. It's nice to have. We're social beings. And we thrive in communities where we feel safe. So that's good. Because if they don't do that to you, if they're inconsistent with that, obviously that's a red flag. Another green flag in a relationship would be an understanding of each other's love languages. So I think there are two ways of looking at love languages. How you want to receive love and how you usually give love. Most people, there's, an, there's a consistency. like they, they give what they want to get. So if somebody gives gifts a lot, that's probably how they expect to be loved too. But it doesn't hurt to ask. So make sure that you ask your partner. There's like a free love language quiz online and you could just take that quiz together and see how different your love languages are because it's not just your own language that matters here it's also the other person and you have to work towards you know at least learning how to love them next is what we call bids of connection so john gottman says that a relationship thrives and a relationship continues to grow when there are constant bids for connection or bids of connection. And these bids of connection are opportunities for you to connect with each other, basically. He, so John Gottman calls it the fundamental unit of emotional connection. So bids of connection can look like anything. So it's simply like sending a meme to a person or it could be as big as like hey do you want to go out to the movies together it's basically doing anything to stay connected with the other person and a bit of a bit of connection a bit for a connection rather uh it is if it's responded to well then your relationship will be okay so for example if if your partner says hey look at this article blah 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 and you don't respond to it then that can make your partner feel less heard. So you'd want to be receptive to these bids for connection as much as possible so that not only do both of you have something to talk about, both of you still feel connected to each other. Okay, we're down to our last three uh, relationship red green flags, rather. And these are very obvious already, but it I feel like it just needs saying again because, you know, it's it's important repetition is key so the next green flag is the person knows what they want and what they can offer so it's very important to visualize and ask yourself and script down what is it that i like in a good relationship like go crazy with it and try not to rely on the people in your life right now who are in a relationship don't look at that just look at what your idea of perfect relationship looks like and really just be as specific as possible i don't care if you feel like the more specific you get the more you're setting yourself up for disappointment 
because I'm pretty sure that the more standards that you have, the less heartbroken you'll be. Because hindi ka lang papatol sa kung kani kanino. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not out here to shame people who, who just date whoever's available. All I'm saying is that if you want to avoid getting disappointed for the same reason over and over again, have standards and have high standards so that the next relationship whether it ends up being the one or not, it would be a good relationship for you where you, like, actually grow. And, yeah, basically, knowing what they can offer as well, the other person, like, this is why asking people what they want in a relationship, it's not the end. It It should not make you feel like asking for what they want is the end of the relationship. That should actually be the beginning because... When you find out what they want exactly, you get to compare it to what you want and you get to see whether you're on the same page or not. And I feel like this was my mistake in my last relationship. Like both of us were just thinking about what like our fears, like we were just so focused on our fears that it held us back from communicating what it is that we truly wanted. And yeah, I should have spoken up more in my previous relationship because I was always just so scared of how he would react that I just didn't say anything and he didn't say anything and <laughs> it was funny but that relationship was just really it really I really grew so much I changed so much from that relationship and yeah still recovering from parts of it but I like to think that I grew in the bo- in the best way possible from it, which is what you want, is it, which is how you want to see your previous relationships, you know? Because if there's so much resentment in it, it's just gonna weigh you down. But yeah, this leads me to my next point. Um, a green flag would be knowing how to regulate their emotions. So speaking of my previous relationship, I my big red flag there was that I did not know how to regulate my emotions. I struggle with anger issues and I'm I think I've done so much better in regulating my anger but in my previous relationship I did not hesitate to express how angry I was to the point where I'd yell and shout even in public which was like embarrassing and I do this like intoxicated and it was just really bad and man I it's something that was toxic about me and I failed to hold myself accountable at that time because in my head it was like I deserve to feel angry because of how I was being treated constantly. Like you did deserve my anger. And in some ways that was justified. Because if like there's this there's this quote even a worm would what something even a worm will turn that's that's like a that's like a recent wikipedia idiom i learned but basically even the most gentle people have their limits and when i got angry in my previous relationship i was like like everything had bottled up and it could have been avoided if i knew how if i learned to communicate honestly about my feelings and Again, it's not only about learning to communicate your feelings, learning to name your feelings. It's also about learning to regulate them. 
And it was in therapy that I started learning emotional regulation, which is the act of learning to control your feelings, learning to feel them. So with my session with my therapist, I learned this emo- this wheel of emotions where I would where there was this wheel of like so many different emotions and identifying them really is the first step and feeling them is the next step which is often very hard i think there's lots of different episode but yeah after feeling them that's when you process them and hopefully you let them go and i think i've done i've gone a long way since acknowledging my anger issues sometimes i still get angry but it's taking a lot of self-control for me not to so yeah um we are all works in progress anyway and I wish I had learned it sooner, you know, so I wouldn't have caused so much hurt in the past. But yeah, sometimes you learn things the hard way. And as a very stubborn Taurus, learning things the hard way is kind of my way of life. <laughs> but in therapy, I'm, I'm learning to be nicer to myself and extend myself the same compassion that I always extend to other people, especially the ones I love. And finally, this leads me to my last point in relationship green flags. It's learning to set boundaries in a relationship. I forgot who said this, but there's a saying that boundaries are not should not be seen as the end of a relationship. It's it should be seen as people's attempt to continue a relationship with you. So boundaries are different from requests, according to Britt Frank in her book The Science of Stock. Because requests sound like, Can you please stop doing this? Because I'm not comfortable. And the boundary sounds something like, if you keep forcing me to do this with you, I will stop talking to you. Or if you keep yelling at me, I will disengage from this conversation. So boundaries, they sound very, they sound very tough. And I think I'll talk about this in depth in a future episode. But boundaries, if you're a people pleaser, which I am, or I'm recovering from, it's hard. Because asserting yourself and telling a person, I don't like how I'm being, how you're treating me. If you treat me this way, I will cut, I will cut contact with you. I will stop engaging with you. That's hard for me to do, because of my anxious attachment. But boundaries really are there to protect yourself and to protect the relationship, especially if you feel like the relationship is kind of struggling and you want to keep it. So yeah, um, these are all the green flags that I have seen in my personal relationships and in relationships of others and based on the things i've read on on the different self-help books that i have just shared so i'll be putting in the description below uh the different books that i mentioned here if you're interested in me talking about more self-help books let me know if you have book recommendations feel free to message me as well and again if you have suggestions for the podcast topics you'd like for me to discuss feel free to email me at please psych at gmail.com and i'll see you next week hopefully for the next episode i hope you all learned new things here and please do share this podcast if you know this will help friends of yours it's not that i need clout it's just that i feel like the things i share here can help other people and mental health is like mental health care is not as accessible as, like as it should be and this is my attempt at making mental health education more accessible so yeah i'll see you next time goodbye